Hi, my name is Skipper Chong Morrison, and I'm design director in San Francisco, and you're listening to How This Works. Actually, that's not true. My name is Laura. Please join me this week on How This Works as we flip the script and I interview Skipper Chong Morrison, your venerable host of How This Works. <laughs> Hi, Skipper. Thank you for making the space and time to join me today. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for carving out the time yourself. <laughs> let's, uh, let's start with pronouns. Mine are she and her. How do you like to be referred to? I prefer he and him, please. So, Skipper Chong Morrison, who are you? Tell us a few things about yourself. Well, I suppose we can start with what's normally read as part of the show intro. I am a design director in my work life, my full-time work life. Mm -hmm. I do live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. We moved here about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, having lived in New York City for a decade. Do you miss New York? Do I miss New York? I miss the idea of New York. Hmm. When anyone has ever asked about New York City, when we lived there, I would often say to them that everything that they've heard is 100% true and 100% false. Because there's so many different nuances to one's experience of living in the most populated city in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's also relative to where you are and what you do. So what might be happening in downtown Manhattan is going to be very different from where we lived on the Upper West Side and or in Upper Manhattan versus what was happening in Brooklyn. Or Queens. Or, or Queens Staten or the Bronx. Or, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I definitely miss the idea of it. I know our child misses it mm -hmm. because having moved from New York just before the pandemic, the summer before the pandemic, they often say that they want to go back to New York, right? Yeah. That in their mind, New York was this perfect place where they were born, they were raised for the first few years of their life, and then we left. And then seemingly the world fell apart. Right. And then they moved to California and everything fell apart. That's I'm, right. I miss New York. I miss like there. It's funny. I've become a lot more... I don't feel like I've had the, uh, for the last year and a half, I don't feel like I've had the luxury to do, to, to think about anything other than what is happening right in front of me. Right. Um, so in this past week, I've really been recalling our time in New York and I really, really, really miss it. Yeah. I miss, there are a lot of things that I miss about living there and there are a lot of things that I'm grateful for. Yeah. So I feel you on that. Like I, um, What's one thing that you miss about New York just to pull something out? I miss the walking culture. Yeah. I miss being able to, that my body was my transportation, that I could either walk or jump on a train or bus so easily and seamlessly. And even though, I mean, like as we live there, it, New York had become sort of the, it had become the largest, the most populous that it had ever been. So, um, yeah, it definitely swelled in people numbers. It did. And so, you know, the trains were delayed sometimes, you know, everyone complains about the sometimes. trains. Yeah. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> the train would pull into the station <laughs> and you see the crowded car, people would step out just to let other people have room to step off. Yeah. And you think, or I would think sometimes, 
do I really want to cram myself into that tin of sardines? And then when you wait for the second train and it's is crammed, and by the time the third train it comes and it's still crammed, you're like, all right, well, I'm getting on it this I time. I have to get on it. I have to get on it or I'm going to walk 40 blocks. That's fine. I'm also <laughs> sometimes right. in the mood to walk 40 blocks, so it's fine. Right. Yeah, I miss that. I miss the walkability of that. Yeah. I really miss the Natural History Museum <laughs> because I spent so much time there with our child. Yeah. I really miss it. And I miss the availability of... Because I, I know that like someone from the Bay Area was like, would if I say I miss the availability of, of the culture that we had, well, the Bay Area has a lot of culture, and it does. It um, does. The museums, the ballet, the opera, like all that. Th- we sort of took advantage of, we took advantage of a lot of underground theater and dance. And, the theater scene, yeah, the musical theater scene. Yeah, and, and dance. Like we have lots of friends who are in dance and like the things that we saw and did and that we ourselves performed in, in like in public parks in New York. I, I miss a lot of that. Yeah. Would I pack up and move back there right this moment? I don't know that I would pack up and move anywhere right this moment because the idea of packing and, right, this is, I just need to get through lunch today. But yeah. Right. All right. So you moved here a year and a half ago. We did. I guess I was with you when, yeah. when that happened. <laughs> um, that was cool. Yeah. We took a drive across country. We drove across country, saw some parts of the country that we'd never seen before. And my background, just to say one more thing about who I am, my College degree is actually not in design. That's not what I studied in school. What did um, you study in school? I have a double major, and one's in English literature and one's in playwriting. And what was interesting is that while I studied writing, I attempted to do the least amount of writing possible. In that, I mean, I did all of my coursework, I turned in all the things I was meant to do, but I didn't want to do any extra work in writing. I wanted to write as little as possible. So I did, hold on, hold on. So for my work studies and my other occupational things that I did during the time that I was at university, I actually did design work. So by the time I graduated from university, I had as strong a writing portfolio as I did a design portfolio. And so I, I didn't want that to be the only muscle that I was flexing. So the way that I often give the example is that I believe that design and writing are both about storytelling. One is about writing the story, constructing the story from words, but then design is another way to tell the story, albeit more visually focused. The way the things are laid out, um, the flow of text blocks from here to there. Even in our more modern business context, uh, how you might present something to a client or internal stakeholder or someone on your team? How do you, quote unquote, sell them or tell them a compelling story around an idea? I have I have like a flood of questions happening in my head right now. Let me see if I can. So do you feel, so you've sort of always been in a creative mode. Obviously your right. degree is creative. What you do now is creative. Did you know... It's really hard to ask this question because I, I know for myself I, and I know for anyone listening, it's very difficult to think back to when you're 18 and what you <laughs> what you imagined. Because sure. this is not, I'm sure, for either one of us what we imagined. This is beautiful. I'm happy to be here with you. Let me say that. However, this is not what this is not the trajectory that I saw myself going if in. If you would have asked me at 17, 18 where I thought I was going to be, it 
probably doesn't match up to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And that's not a complaint. Um, that's more of a compliment of how life throws a series of twists and turns. And as a human being in the world, you adjust and you change. My larger question is, did you always know that you had a creative spirit inside of you and that you wanted to follow something that felt more artistic? So storytelling, you can do it visually, you can do it with the written word. You So you wanted to, did you feel compelled? You could do it um, in in all kinds of media and filmmaking, et cetera. So did you know in your heart that you wanted to follow a creative path? I think so. Growing up, I was a voracious reader, but I didn't do much in the way of extracurricular writing until probably middle school or high school. I don't know that I was super artistic in the way that some people talk about drawing all the time or painting all the time or whatever that medium is for them. I do remember in a seventh grade art class that we were doing figure drawing And I thought, oh, and, you know, it was the very typical, there was a sphere and there was a a pyramid and then a rectangle and you were supposed to draw the shapes and then also shade them. And I remember that first class really struggling to accurately capture what I was seeing in the scene in front of me. And the next day I brought to school a compass and a ruler to make the straight lines and (laughs) immediately uh, my art teacher at the time said, no, that's not how you you have to just draw it the way that you see it. And I said, but they're not straight. They're not, they don't, the way that I'm drawing it. And I, and I showed her my previous attempts, the way that I'm drawing it doesn't look like that. And she said, well, you have to keep working at it. It's not about using a perfect circle shape or using a straight line. And I think that was a lesson for me in you can't do the thing perfectly, no matter what the tool is that you have, that it's always going going to require work and iteration and cycles. Mm -hmm. That's what that that's the beauty of that, though. People, if you take out the iterative process, then you lose so much of the joy of that that creation, whether it's a photo or Mm -hmm. a painting or a, a play or. And you lose that when you, if you try to just perfect every step of the way, that's, that's not interesting. Yeah. That's not compelling. Although there are moments that have been documented around someone going in like Black Sabbath, when they went in to record their first album, allegedly they came in and recorded everything on the first take Hmm. just straight through. And I think what I heard is that it was all done in one day. And now that doesn't take into account the fact that the members of Black Sabbath already knew how to play their instruments. There was a lot of pre-work that happened before they, they ever walked into the studio. Together. They, created, they knew how to play together. They creatively collaborated many times. That's right. So that's so they, still an iterative process. Exactly. Yeah. And while they did have a magical moment in creating the tracks for their debut album, even that seems so stupendous and amazing, the fact that they were able to walk in and do it all in one take in one day and just have this thing that sometimes takes bands or a single person days, if not weeks, if not years to create. So you're a design director. Mm-hmm. You live in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. What else do you do? What else, what else would we know about you? <laughs> you're the host of How This Works. I am the host of How This Works. Welcome. <laughs> what a lovely podcast this is. Thank you. It's, yes, welcome. 
There's also a Barbie house there if you want to play with it. Oh, yes. We're not including a visual, but we are recording in our child's room. So we are surrounded by a tiny bed and all sorts of toys. Lots of stuffies. Lots of... If you get nervous while I'm asking these questions, (laughs) grab your favorite stuffy and, you know, feel the comfort. There's a cheetah close to you, so... Cheetah. I see cozy rosies next to you, Yeah, there's a sloth. (laughs) Yeah. There's a giant tiger. That's right. Multiple choices. So... Last year, I thought to start a podcast, and it's not as though I didn't have... Along with, like, (laughs) many other people who had um, a lot more time in their home space. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Many other pandemic projects. Mm -hmm. And it's not as though I'd never created a podcast before. Now, to do the marketing piece and the planning piece and to be very regular about it, that was something that was new to me. At a previous employer, I had created an internal podcast, and then I helped work on their public-facing podcast. So I did have some experience in recording, scripting questions, even some of the producing side, editing. But I have to say that making a podcast that is a thing that exists out in public, that becomes something that some amount of people will know you for, it's nerve-wracking in Mm -hmm. a way. And... One of the things that you know about me as my wife is that I can be very literal. Newsflash, I am Skipper's (laughs) wife. (laughs) For those people who didn't know, is that I can be very literal about things. So in sketching out the initial version of this podcast, I thought, oh, we'll set a goal for it. We'll talk to 100 people about things that they know. And I know that's generally a podcast formula. It's not a novel approach to a podcast, but I, I did want to box it for myself. So that way, you know, I had something that I was aiming for, but yet gave me enough flexibility to find out about people and subject matters that I didn't necessarily know about. And I also, I also had indicated that it was going to be weekly. So that's one thing that I've struggled with is because there will be weeks where things fall off guests don't get scheduled in an expedient manner, Um, schedules fall apart, Um, all sorts of things happen. And some weeks, there isn't an episode, a new episode that's available. So that's one thing that I've struggled with is delivering on the promise that I've made in creating this podcast, but then also being easy on myself as a creator, producer, etc. Because you are very literal, you do want to deliver weekly. (laughs) That's true. That's what I said. Being literal, um, when he uses the word literal, it is an understatement. WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. So what is, what's something so far in the short tenure of this podcast, what is a valuable lesson that you've learned in speaking to all the people that you've spoken to thus far? Hmm. I think one of the things that I have come to realize is that for the most part, people don't truly grok what it is that they know until they are sharing it with someone else. So this is something, this is something that I uncovered when I created the internal podcast, when I worked at Fjord, um, it was called design voices. But what I was interested in is finding out more from my peers, uh, the junior designers, even some other folks who weren't necessarily as loud as some of the senior or leadership folks within the office. So 
it was about talking to other designers in other disciplines. So not just the visual designers, but also the interactive designers or the business designers, um, our research folks, just getting a sense of who they were and what are the things that they knew about, right? So it was meant to be shining a light on maybe some of those people you didn't hear from normally. And nine times out of 10, when I would approach someone, even if they had worked in a discipline of, let's say, uh, user research or mm-hmm. prototyping or um, biz data, biz dev, data and design, they would always say to me, I don't know why you want to talk to me about this. I don't know enough about it. So I, I feel like people are perpetually cutting themselves short to say, well, and being humble, I think, is a great trait. But I think too many times people underestimate the amount of information that they know or that might come out in a conversation saying, oh, can you tell me more about that? And really drawing out those things that people know, but they don't think they know. Sure. I mean, imposter syndrome is ubiquitous in that way. Yeah. Even even when someone is considered an expert in their field, most of the time they still feel like, oh, I have so much more to learn. Right. Because once you once you start navigating that, you realize like how much you don't know. Right. Even even in your own field, even in your own expertise. Right. That's a really nice way to frame that. I I'm also curious, is there have there been any surprises in either something you've heard or or have conversations, and as they do, as you just mentioned, conversations ebb and flow, and and once someone starts opening up and speaking, it might take a direction that you don't expect. Right. Do you find that that happens fairly often? I think in every episode, something like that has happened. And one lesson that I am continuously learning as a result of making the podcast and putting it out in the world and being the person on the other side of the microphone is that more important than doing the research about that person, more important than having the right gear, listening is the most important piece of it. Are you a good listener? I'm an excellent listener. Really? Yes. Absolutely excellent. And that's why when I listen back on all of the episodes, there's nothing ever missing. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in listening back to some of the episodes, I have never said once, I can't believe I didn't ask this question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that I have, I'm a listener with very good intentions. Um, I'm sometimes distracted and I am not the best listener, but I am committed to being better. <laughs> committed to change. That's right. Change for the better. Improvement. Improvement. That's all yeah. we can hope for. What is something... This is something that you often ask at the beginning of your show. What is something that many people might not guess or know about you? Something obviously that you feel comfortable sharing as a side note, like there is something I just learned about you the other day, which is often wonderful to think like you could spend X amount of years with someone and still not ever know everything about that person. It's beauty of relationships. What did you learn the other day? I don't remember. (laughs) I just remember thinking, oh, I didn't know that about you. (laughs) Touche. I don't remember what it was. Um, There was also something my mom said the other day, and I thought, oh, I didn't know that about you. I mean, it's great to learn. Yeah. So what is something that you feel comfortable sharing that most people might not know about you? Sure. 
So I think one of the things that comes to mind the quickest is around my name. Mm-hmm. I say it at the top of every show, my name is Skipper Chong Warson, mm-hmm. and that is true. And that has only been true since I was seven. Mm-hmm. Before that, when I was born up until the age of seven, that was not my name. And when I was seven, I sat down and I made a list of all the names that I could possibly have. The list came down to Skipper or Daniel. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I picked Skipper over Daniel, and there's nothing wrong with the name Daniel. My grandfather's name was Daniel. One of my very best friends in the world's name is Daniel. But the reason I picked Skipper is because when I was born, I was named after my father and my great-grandfather, which their first names were Star, S-T-A-R-R. Mm-hmm. And... After growing up with a name like Star, I didn't feel like I could be a Dan or a Danny or a Daniel. And so Skipper it was. And why was your name changed? So my father remarried Mm -hmm. and my stepmother wanted to legally adopt me, even though she was under no obligation to do that. And part of legally adopting me, she had asked me, as I recall, um, if I liked my name. And I've heard this analogy from many people, but the idea of changing your name at seven, that maybe I should be glad that I didn't pick Bruce Wayne or Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime is a fantastic name. (laughs) Optimus Prime would be a cool name. And there are some cultures actually that roughly around that age, like a, a child comes into their own and they sort of choose their own name. You didn't grow up in a culture where that was, that was part of that no, but there is a element of Korean culture where if you introduce yourself and you visually look more Korean than not, I suppose, often the question will be put to you, well, that's is, your American name. Right. What is your Korean name? What's your name? Korean name? And that often is given to children who are first generation mm-hmm. so that they might assimilate, quote unquote, I'm doing finger quotes more into American life. So at this point now, so you have been legally skipper for a fairly long time. Do you remember it being difficult when your name was changed to, to grow into that identity or to get used to people calling you by the name skipper? Do you have a memory of that at all? I don't really have a memory of that. My grandma Blanche, she sometimes would call me star still. There are some members of my mother's family who call me star because that's how they remember me. Mm -hmm. Um, Your birth mother's family. My birth mother's family. And I I have a dim memory of a teacher in the third grade. So right after the name change happened, I think Mrs. Anderson had a copy of my old school records and they still had star on them. Mm -hmm. So those would be the only people that I really remember still calling me Star. So much so that I really think of Star as my father's name. So when you hear the name Star now, there's unless you're speaking to someone who, who calls you by that name, there's, there's very little resonance within you. That no, I, it doesn't sound like my name. Skipper sounds like your name. Skipper sounds like my name. It's a name you don't forget easily. Yeah, I've only met one other person who... And in fact, they weren't the person, they knew someone whose real name was Skipper, but I've never met one-on-one another person whose name was Skipper. I didn't plan it that way, right? I didn't, I didn't count on picking a unique name. I just thought 
Skipper sounded more in line with Star than Daniel did. As much as maybe one of the arguments when I was seven for changing my name from Star was to get away from some of the teasing that happened in school on playgrounds. Things like, I remember there being a Star Bar, and with a name like Star Warson, I got a ton of Star Wars jokes. <laughs> um, but then Star Wars is cool. <laughs> Star Wars is cool, but it's, it doesn't matter how cool it is if you're being sure. made fun of for it. Yeah. And, and no one made fun of Skipper? Well, I didn't, I don't know that I thought through fully, you know, you brand saying. name peanut butter, <laughs> Barbie's sister. Oh. Um, I think there's a dog food named Skippy, Skipper. Wait, the peanut butter is Skippy. Skippy, which I do not answer to Skippy. No, no, and no. I generally won't. speaking, I don't answer to Skip. Yes, we've had a few people that there are some legacy people in your life, your sisters being two of them. Right. And your little brothers, I suppose, that call you Skip and they're allowed to, they're family. Right. We have two friends that call you Skip, they're legacy friends. Right. However, for people that call you Skip, I'm like, Skip is like a blonde 1950s dude who's like diving into the water. I was like, my <laughs> husband is not Skip. Please don't ever call him Skip. Uh, Although I do, I do remember one of these friends is our a, a mutual friend that we both have, a dear friend, um, Jim. And I remember when the notion of my coming to a party he was having, he said, yeah, sure. You can invite this guy, Skip, but I don't like, I, I'm not really into meeting a guy named Skip. I don't need to so, know a dude named Skipper. Yeah. That's right. This is the man that married us. <laughs> that's right. So you feel, so Skipper feels like. You don't have like a, um, identity crisis. You feel like Skipper. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a fair statement. And it's funny in listening to you and thinking about Skip and Skipper, do you have a thing about that? Like where, so you, when I've heard you introduce yourself and, and people might say, so Skip, and you're like, oh no, no, it's Skipper. And you have a very generous spirit with that. Do you prefer to call people by their full names or do you have people that you use shortened versions of their name? Like, do you have a feeling about that? Like shortening someone's name and making it like a cute nickname or. So it's one of the things that I do on the show and I specifically ask people what they want to be called. Mm -hmm. And I practice saying their name even with them. Sometimes it'll end up as one of the outtakes at the end of the show. But I think that's something that's really important about understanding what they want to be called mm -hmm. versus what is their printed name? What is the name that they go by professionally? So I think there are a few different layers. And, and I think it's about using the name that that person feels most comfortable with. And it doesn't matter if it's recognized in the world. It doesn't matter if, you know, it's it's not a legal name. I don't think any of that matters. I do think it's important to, and especially as we live in a global culture, to make sure that you are saying people's names right. Yeah, I think that that's, you don't obviously, you don't, there are people though, when they, when you first meet them, they, as soon as they hear your name, they make a nickname out of it. Not right. just you, Skipper, however, anyone in general. They'll pick anyone, right? Yeah. Someone introduces themselves as James, they... They're like, hey, Jimmy. You'll Jimmy. become Jimmy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had an uncle. My name is Laura. I have never identified with the name Laura. It does not fit me in any way, shape, or form. 
I, it's a fine name. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't identify with it. I'm going to get angry letters from, <laughs> from people other Laura's. Laura. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's, it just doesn't ever feel like me. It doesn't feel like who I am right. inside me. And I had an uncle who called me Lori, which also like felt even worse than Laura. <laughs> I was like, I'm definitely not Lori. If I'm not Laura, I'm certainly not Lori. Like <laughs> call me something else. So it's, I like that you feel like that you sort of own your name as long as I've known you, that you sort of own that piece of you. Yeah. So I want to jump back into the, the idea of creating this podcast and which is a version of storytelling for you. Um, you're helping to tell other people's stories. What is one thing that you really hope to accomplish by putting this out in the world? What is something that you, that would, that you would feel really positive about, um, as a result of creating this? It's a really good question. This is one of those things where I, I believe that in your life, you should approach things with some intentionality and have larger goals around them. For me, I think this podcast is about iteration and it's about working on making each episode, each interaction with a guest better than it was before, right? Getting better, understanding all of the nuance, the moving parts, being a better listener. I will often circle back with someone that I've talked to on the show and I will send them a note asking, do you have an idea around maybe one or two other people I could talk to on the podcast? As of right now, I have a very loose list of subject matters that I want to learn more about. And that might become more articulated over time, mm -hmm. maybe in the midway through the second season or maybe in the third season. But the thing that I ask previous guests of the show is if they know someone who would be a good candidate to be on how this works and, you know, understanding that, uh, I'm not necessarily looking for people in this, this, and this subject matter. For instance, one of the things that I'd like to learn more about is around solar panels and solar arrays and how solar energy works, both mm -hmm. in terms of how panels are manufactured, how they're optimized, uh, all of those things. Um, that's one example, one subject matter that I'm interested in learning more about, but it's more about people who know certain things in the world. And after you talk to them about this thing that they know about, your response is something like, huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Or I'd like to learn more about that, right? It's that twinge of interest that happens when you talk to someone who knows something very deeply and positions it in a way and or positions it in a way that you'd never considered it before. So you sort of, you answered both questions. You, I mean, you answered the question in two ways. One, what you personally are hoping to accomplish and what you would want a listener to, to receive from this podcast. You want a listener to be able to, to learn something new or to become interested, mm -hmm. to follow a line of curiosity. For sure. And to maybe even look at the the world and the people around them with new eyes. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a story. Everyone is an onion. Everyone has a story. Everyone is compelling in some way. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a good compelling or <laughs> not so good compelling, sure. But yeah. So when you think about this, when you think about guests that you bring on, is there, other than asking 
previous guests if they have someone they'd recommend. How else do you go about finding guests for this show? Hmm. So I think for me, it's also about keeping my eyes and ears open in the world. Mm -hmm. My wife, Laura, is actually really good about bringing guests <laughs> to me. Is she? She is. Aww. She's a really nice person. You should, you should <laughs> hang out with her more. She, and then I, I think I can include myself in this number. So I'll say we, in addition to other people, friends, family, previous guests, often people will circle back to me and say, hey, have you read this thing in the same way that you share an article that you read? Mm -hmm. And sometimes what happens is that when I read that article, um, I might dig into one person who's quoted or the person who wrote that article. I think it comes from a variety of different sources. As of right now, the subject matters and the guests on the show are as a result of natural curiosity. Okay. I do believe that you know, if each season of the show is 20 episodes or so, and this stretches into five seasons, then I, I think that there will be moments where some of those things will be more intentional than others. Um, and not these sort of accidental bumping into this subject matter and by proxy, this person who knows this subject matter. So some of your guests though, so far, I, and I know this, um, you've cold called essentially. That's right. You read an article, someone told you about them and you just reached out and you were like, Hey, I, I think you would be interesting to speak to. Mm -hmm. I think you, I'd like to hear more about you and how you speak on this subject matter. And, that's right. and you've received, you've actually received some positive response for that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's, there's a number of, there's a ratio, right. Of you go up for bat and you ask someone a question. I have yet to get any interest from any politicians that I've reached out to. They're busy. They're busy. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> going on. Um, but Dr. Peter Chen Hong, you know, he was yeah. the third episode um, where we talked about novel coronavirus and COVID-19 and PCH. Um, PCH. He uh, responded to just an email that I sent to his uh, UCSF email. Yeah. Um, similar for Cassandra Carlopio. Mm -hmm. um, she's working on um, how we can sleep better. And as a meditator, uh, Sally McRae, the running, mm -hmm. uh, the endurance runner, professional endurance runner, uh, Piper Payne, right? Her subject matter came out of an episode that I did with a friend of mine, um, Selena Rosenbaum. And we were talking about the process of recording her album. And she talked about recording it, mixing it and mastering it. And she was able to articulate a little bit around mixing but then when I asked her the question, well, what does a mastering engineer do? And she said, I honestly have no idea. And she's recorded multiple things in her life. She's recorded two full-length albums, among other things. And so then I went looking for someone like Piper Payne. And Piper Payne very graciously said she would talk to me. And that is one of my favorite episodes. That That's a great episode. I'm already planning a part two. Yeah. Piper or, Payne is amazing. What mm -hmm. an amazing guest. Yeah. yeah. As, as all your guests I've enjoyed. Yeah. I just... So that's a cool way that you, and is there, aside from solar panels, are there any subjects that are peaking for you right now? Just in case your listeners might have someone that they could recommend that you speak to or aside from solar panels, are there any, any other, like, so I know you've reached out to a lot of politicians and I mean, this is a busy year for politicians. This is a busy year. And, you know, I don't know that that a politician would want to go on record with a small-ish, medium to small-ish podcast. So some of the other, I have a running list. 
for instance, how coffee's made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the process of roasting and um, harvesting and the idea of single origin versus mixing blends or, you know, the economics of coffee farming. Sure. Um, similar for chocolate. Um, I think there's a lot of ambiguity around what, how those two substances are produced. Um, like the the sisters from Twenty One Seeds, mm-hmm. that was an incredibly informative, uh, an incredibly informative show about the process of tequila infusion mm-hmm. and uh, and just making tequila and how and uh, I didn't know that. Like similar to champagne, that tequila is from a very specific region. Otherwise, yeah, it's I not no tequila. Idea. Otherwise, yeah. it's not tequila. Yeah, <laughs> let's do a shot. <laughs> Happy early anniversary, by the way. Our anniversary is in two. Two days. Our anniversary is in two days. That's right. I just wasn't sure what today was. So I knew I was close. I'm really tired. How many years? You're holding up fingers. Seven, nine. We've been married nine years? We've been married nine years. Wow. Uh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. We got married um, in Brooklyn Bridge Park in mm-hmm. between the Manhattan and the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. Very pretty in front of Jane's carousel for anyone who has ever lived in New York or traveled. Um, it is a beautiful park and Jane's carousel is a must see. If you want to see some stunning photos of Jane's carousel, you should look up when Hurricane Sandy hit mm-hmm. because the carousel, um, the water came up and it looked like it was floating. It yeah. was it, 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 remarkable, remarkable that it's still standing. It's like 2012. No, it was, was it after or before we were married? It was uh, after. After. Okay. So like 2013, 2014. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure, yeah. We should look that up. All of a sudden, we should. We probably fact check that. But, we should probably right. fact check that. But I think the process of trying to remember something, I think is more interesting. So yeah, we'll just say it's after we were married. It was after we were married. In 2012. Yeah. We were married in 2012. That's why it's nine years because it's 2021. I mean, 2020 is sort of a lost year, so we can just celebrate we can, eight. We can again. just celebrate eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so back to <laughs> back to how this works and your storytelling abilities. Do you ever think? Um, I don't think my abilities are that stupendous, but I do think they are getting better. I am committed to continuous improvement. You are a very good host. You are very <laughs> enjoyable to listen to. That's really all I was hoping for in recording this episode. So, so that I would, I would compliment you. That's right. Did you know a little ego pump today? That's I, right. I got you, babe. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, I like listening to you. I think you're a very good host of this podcast. I, one thing I was curious about, do you ever plan on expanding and occasionally having a guest host with you? Or is that something in your future? I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to that. Uh, it would have to be someone who... I'm not opposed to that. I want to know more. So something that I'm going to divulge to your listeners may not be that interesting. It just goes it's making me think of an article I read about earlier today. When we moved to the Bay Area, uh, and since this is sort of, we had an idea, we had a timeline here. However, like everything that happened from like, everything that's happened in the last year, I think everyone's timeline to what they were headed to before has probably shifted and changed drastically. Right. 
Is there anything else that has in your timeline, in your in your own personal storytelling that has shifted and, and changed for you? Hmm. Is there anything in my own personal? I'm not going to be the first person to say this, but I think life changes like getting married, having a child. I think that changes, that has shifted because I don't know that it's a net change. It's not a 180 degree or 90 degree change, but it has shifted my perception and level of expectation around the events of life. Mm -hmm. I would hope that it's given me more patience and a little bit more grounding around why we do certain things. And then also this idea of having an opinion or an idea that you hold on to tightly, but then you let go of loosely, right? I think it's important to be committed to doing something in a specific way, but then to be flexible with the plan of how you do it. I know with our child, like most children, curiosity is a theme for young children. Right. Because this is, this is a rapid period. The, the timeline, my sister often says this, the timeline for being a child is so short. So it's mm -hmm. like, so you're growing in leaps and bounds and you're... You just want to understand. And in an average lifespan. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. In an average lifespan, it's very short. And, uh, and how would, how, where would those ages be from zero to 18, probably. So 18, all the way up to through adolescence to 18. I think for like, you. I think you can consider childhood for me. I would think like, I think while you're, I think zero to 17, 18 is a good even if you don't consider someone an adult till 21 right. um, or if you're someone who says like by 17. So those 17 to 21, those are really transitional years where you're starting to find out you're very beginning to start. I mean, I am very different than I was at 21 even. So I, I don't, even though I'm only 23 now, I mean, two, two years ago, I mean, right. I've changed a lot in two years. <laughs> um, the lost pandemic year. Yeah, that's right. My lost pandemic year. I, uh, so I think that, uh, I do think like if you, if you look at that, if uh, an average lifespan, say like up to 75, the majority of, of your life is going to be spent as an adult. Sure. So I think that that preservation of that timeline of childhood, because it's such an accelerated rate of growth during that time. I think that one thing I've noticed for you as a host is like, uh, you know, when our child asks about something like, what is this? Or why does this happen? Uh, it enables us to kind of revisit that span of our life and see things through uh, these new eyes. And like, okay, you, you want to know more about that? Well, I do too. I want to know more about that. I don't even remember what that is or why that happened sure. or what the name of that beetle was. <laughs> Let's go find out together. Right. So I think how this works is uh, is sort of a... An example and an extension of that curious mind. It's definitely born out of that. I remember mm -hmm. something that they asked just the other day around the color of our veins. And, you know, I said something around how, well, your blood's actually blue until you have a cut and that blood is exposed to oxygen. Well, what I learned in digging more into that subject matter is that 
That is not true. Hmm. Your blood is not actually blue. Now, is it exactly the bright red that it looks like when you um, cut yourself or you scrape yourself? No, it is a slightly different color. It is less oxygenated because it's in your body. Right. Um, especially if it's one of the veins oh, so and not the arteries. when it hits the, the air, it becomes oxidized and turns, that, sure. That's right. So it does become more red, but it's not as though your blood is blue. Your blood is reddish blue. So I think that's one of those things where when you start asking, and there are all sorts of like frameworks, questioning frameworks, like the five whys, which was created by someone at the Toyota company once upon a time. And the idea is that when you ask the question why five times to a specific idea or a notion, then you will get down to the core piece of it, Mm -hmm. right? So why, 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 why? like a child would ask over and over and over, why this, why that? And sometimes as parents or adults in their world, we get frustrated and we just say something like, well, because it is the way it is, leave it alone. Right. I'm tired. I'm busy. That's right. (laughs) We have any number of things. You need to get in the bath. Come on, man. (laughs) That's right. So, but I think there is something to that notion of taking the time and making this space And making it safe, right? We've Mm -hmm. talked a lot about more recently in the world at large around how we can create safe spaces in our home or even in our work environment, Um, whether that's around health, safety, and hygiene, or it's more about mental and emotional space. Mm -hmm. How can we make sure that people feel inclusive? And I think that's something that's super important. One other thing that I have learned in making the podcast is in listening week over week to the sound of my voice. Believe it or not, I am not someone who enjoys the sound of my voice. I am often very critical of the way that I sound. You have a very nice voice. So, <laughs> Thank you. Be that as it may, one of the things that I've realized is how drenched our individual languages are with vocal ticking things like ums and likes, clicking other kinds of things that we do to physically ease some nervousness that we might feel. I have them. I've listened to them and other guests. Um, We've gone through an editing process to take some amount of those out. Not so much so hopefully that the conversation sounds unnatural. However, it is making me realize and actually making me think again, like I did when I was in high school, when I was on the speech and debate team around how it is that I speak and how it is that I present myself out in the world. That's nice. So, although it is difficult to listen to yourself in general, not you personally, but <laughs> like, wow, and there went it, that must a, be, it must be hard to listen to yourself. And Woo! there went that other compliment, just <laughs> torpedo that. Um, what, speaking of vocal tics, how would you define success for yourself? What, what is, what are some areas of your life that you feel successful in and how do you, cause success, we have a very, uh, especially because we have, we're, we're drenched in media all the time. So the media that we are drenched in, is telling us what success should look like and right. how we should feel about it. Where's an area of your life that you feel successful and what does success feel like to you? Hmm. I think that you're right. I think that a lot of the celebrity profiles that we see or household name profiles that we see, it's about 
diagnosing their success and why they were successful. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's... Because people are looking for a template. That's right. They're, They're looking like, for I a want, plan. I want that. I want the vision of that life that I see. They don't see the real like wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. However, they want that vision. That's right. And they want a template on how they can achieve that. Right. And I think that one of the things that, among others, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in Outliers, where he talks about different people's success and around that notion of 10,000 hours of practice makes an expert of some degree, citing people like the Beatles or Steve Jobs or other folks who were in the right place at the right time to work on their craft and art or business or whatever it is enough that that's what they became known for, right? The Beatles played in clubs in Hamburg for years before they ever landed their first record deal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in that same example of Black Sabbath recording their first album in one take, that doesn't take into account all of the work that they did before they ever walked into the studio. Sure. I, I think that for me, this idea of success, it feels very nebulous. I'm not sure what success looks like. I feel like one of those creative directors or one of those design clients who says, well, I can't articulate to you what this looks like, but I will know it when I see it. Or you know what it feels like. Or I know what it might feel like. And, but having said that, I also know that success is not dictated by the amount of money that you have in the bank. Mm-mm. That can provide some amount of comfort maybe confidence in the world and stability because for some of the positions that I've held in my professional life, there have been moments that I've been paid much better than I'd ever been paid before, but I was miserable. Sure. So I know that that's an amount of money is not a metric of success, but I do know that there are a collusion of other factors that come together to build that. I don't know what all of those things are, but is I, there an area of your life that you feel successful? Is there an area of my life where I feel successful? I think in in that I have a family in you as my wife and our child. I feel like in our crazy manic gendo of a dog. Poor dog. Poor dog. Hot spots. Going through hot spots right now, and we think that she may have sprained her. This is not funny. She may have sprained she her sprained tail. She sprained her tail. It like hangs <laughs> at half mast. It's really fucking sad. And if anybody knows anything about gendos, is they're related to Shiba Inus, which are the smaller versions of their cousin, basically, and then the Akitas, which are much bigger. But they all have these curly tails that stick up, kind of like a handle. And for the last couple of days, we've noticed that our dog, Hers her is tail not is, not, is not a handle right now. It's more like a... It's like a wet mop. It's yeah, exactly. Like, like a broom. Droopy. Yeah. She's sad. So I, I do feel like, and maybe success isn't the right word, but I feel like in my home life, in my family life, I have willing partners in you, in my child 
your parents have been with us for <laughs> over the last year, right? They came last March, March 2020. They came and a handful of days before everything shut down. Before California specifically shut down. They are planning to exit in the next few weeks. And I do feel like they have been willing participants, mostly, sometimes unwilling <laughs> in, in things that we they do in our household. They have been the butt of many jokes. <laughs> they have been. Um, none of which we'll mention here for the sake of posterity and for the continued good in-law relationship that I have. That's right. So in that realm, I feel like there's some measure of success in that we have collaboration, we have cooperation, we have things that we move towards together. We have fun. Um, we do. I think in my work, I suppose there's been a progression of responsibilities. I feel like the job that I'm currently in has a lot of room for growth and I'm able to explore some of the areas that I'm really interested in, how to help designers be better at their work, right? The team dynamics, how to facilitate um, important conversations as you're working on uh, a design engagement, right? Are we asking the right questions? Are we, are we setting the right things into motion? Can we call a timeout and say, wait, wait, you know, this notion of looking back on the last three weeks, three months, whatever it is, and seeing what we need to continue doing, what we need to stop doing, you know, that idea of, of reflection as a way of improving the work that we do. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, I may not, in a knee jerk way, I may not categorize myself as successful, but I feel satisfied by many of the things that are happening. That's a good answer. So as we come to a close, is there anything else that you feel that we didn't touch upon that you think is important for your listeners to know or to hear? Well, you, you did incorporate a couple questions from listeners, but there was one that came in that I didn't notice immediately. Ah, okay. So <laughs> this is a good question from a listener. Why color code versus alphabetize your books? Which is funny because I think depending on the area of the house, you do both. Right. But the area in which I normally work in um, and I recorded the call for questions, uh, you can see the books in the background mm -hmm. and they go from light or white to dark mm -hmm. across the color spectrum. Is that because you're a designer? It's because I saw enough. So one of the functions of being in this remote meeting environment is that I have seen a peek into many people's work spaces and I saw enough people doing that color coding. And so from an organizational perspective, I find the color coding super frustrating because, because instead you like of to alphabetize everything, that's right. Mm -hmm. So not only do I need to remember the name of the book because it's important, but then I need to remember what color that book is. Mm. So I've not done the thin slicing about alphabetizing all of the white books mm -hmm. versus alphabetizing each color hmm. piece. So it's often frustrating for me to find a book very quickly that I want. It usually takes me a few extra minutes in order to remember what color that book is. And really all the books 
are sort of work-related books or more professional books. Most are design-related or business-related or something of that. And so uh, those are only those books, and you are correct, in other parts of our house where we have bookshelves, most of those books are alphabetized by author. Except for the children's books. They are often alphabetized, and within minutes, they are Unalphabetized. <laughs> well, and then we have certain shelves that can fit certain heights of books or certain depths of books. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so they similarly are sometimes categorized by author, but then also by their height. So... Size does matter. <laughs> Size does matter, yes. So... When it comes to books. <laughs> when it comes to literature. Remember that, everyone. That's right. Anything else that you feel like sharing that you think needs to be shared? I do have a thought about the notion of being interviewed versus interviewing someone. Okay. In the same way that I think people that I have cajoled or talked into being whether it was on Design Voices or Fika or um, even on How This Works. People who've been talked into being a guest have often said some version of, I don't know enough about this thing to talk about it. Right. I think in the same way, even though I'm a perfectly qualified human being in the world who does things for money and all sorts of other activities that I also feel unqualified to answer someone's questions about a subject matter that I should know an awful lot about being myself and or the work that I do. Hmm. And like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with being humble. I don't think that you should over-exaggerate or posture yourself as an expert when you are not an expert. However, I do think that people in the world should own the thing that they know, which is why in the show, when we get into the subject matter discussion, um, that's why I ask the very pointed question, what is the subject matter? Or what is the topic that we're going to talk about that you know an awful lot about? And there have been some people who've pushed against that saying, well, I don't know that I know much about it or, you know, saying it's hard to answer that question in that way. My friend Jake Kahana answered it in that way that I can recall. That's why I ask that question specifically because I want the person that I'm talking to, to own the subject matter mm -hmm. because I think that they do my opinion. I think they do know the topic extremely well. I like, I love Jake's episode as well. That's a good episode. Is there anything that you're super excited about right now? Is there anything that you can't stop listening to or watching or reading or, Hmm. The watching is not going to be surprising because a lot of the things we watch together. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> true. Although I did fall asleep and I didn't know what you were watching the other night. I could hear it. I just couldn't keep my eyes open. What uh, were you watching? But I don't know. I don't know. It sounded like Kate McKinnon, but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I was playing the Saturday Night Live. Um, they did a sketch around the last year with everything that's been going on with COVID. Ah, uh, so it was Kate McKinnon. It was Kate McKinnon. So what is... Oh, I didn't realize you fell asleep. Um, I didn't watch any of that. I just heard... You I, just heard. I vaguely heard voices and I, I was so tired. I'm sorry. It's okay. Sometimes, sometimes you put it on and I'm really excited about it and then I'm out like 30 <laughs> seconds in. It's one of your many superpowers is that you can fall asleep watching things. 
I actually enjoy, fall, I actually select certain things to watch to fall asleep to. That's right. Very helpful. John Wick, fan favorite. <laughs> Matrix, really anything super action oriented with Keanu Reeves, I can easily, and that's not to, I love Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I married you because you could be his doppelganger. I'm just kidding. <laughs> are, are you? So let's talk about, let's talk about, so what are, what are things that are, are compelling to you in this time? Sure. So we just started watching the Apple TV series, Mosquito Coast mm -hmm. um, with Justin Thoreau. And we've had conversations. You did not see the film adaptation with Harrison Ford. I did not. You should. River Phoenix. It's pretty, it's good. Have you read the book? I've not read the book. So this is all new to me. And you're enjoying the, it's very tense it's very it's very tense they do a really good job of building suspense mm -hmm. um i think we're four episodes in and i don't know that we have a clear sense of i think we're like three and a quarter three and a quarter okay you finished the fourth one i did not make it <laughs> your superpower might be falling asleep during tv and movies <laughs> my superpower one of my superpowers is staying awake there you go during yeah. tv and movies good match. right or mm. <laughs> I remember you were so, so would... angry when we first started dating. When I asked, I was like, oh, can we put on Lord of the Rings? You were like, to fall asleep to? What is wrong with you? And I was like, Who doesn't, I mean, come on. The director's cut is like four and a half hours long. You know, you're going to be out like 45 minutes. You're in. going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I need to fall asleep specifically to loud action or sci-fi films. <laughs> Go figure. Right. Tells you a lot about my childhood. Um, So... So Mosquito Coast, uh, is there anything, are there any podcasts, other podcasts that you're listening to? Yeah. In terms of podcasts, one of the funny things about making a podcast is that the amount of time that you spend listening to podcasts drops. It sure does. Yeah, exponentially. Sure. And I would say that a lot of the podcasts that I listen to are pretty standard, fair. Mm -hmm. Wireframe from Adobe with Koi Vin is a favorite of mine. Okay. They, they're getting into a lot of different subject matters. That's cool. Invisibilia from NPR is another favorite of mine. I think they go really deep um, into different veins of things that are happening in the world. 99% Invisible is always a fun one. Is there, any, is there any new music that you're really charmed by? Adrienne Lenker. Um, I really like what she's making in the world right now. I think with Prince passing away recently... A lot of the reissues that are coming out as a result of hmm. and his estate being more open to releasing things. Okay. Um, Japanese Breakfast, someone that I'm listening to, a band that I'm listening to an awful lot. Someone that's on my to listen to list is Billie Eilish. She has a new album, mm. but I just haven't gotten the chance to listen to it yet. And one band that I think the entire world is super into, but I just haven't. I haven't embraced them or really given them the chance that I think that they deserve would be BTS. Oh, Huge come on. K come on. <laughs> I no love BTS. Yes. Yes. But for whatever reason, K-pop, C-pop, J-pop, all of the Asian pops, it just doesn't land with me in, in some palpable way. Are you missing that part of your genetic code? <laughs> that might be part of it. I mean, come on. Have you seen... I mean, you sent it to me. The cover that they do of one of my least favorite bands mm -hmm. of Coldplay's... Fix You. Fix You. It's so good. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> we'll, link, we'll link to it in the show notes. But, um, oh, it's so good. But it is, it is a compliment to that band and whether you want to point to K-pop being this machine that just cranks out, you know, young 
idols uh, who are trained to sing and dance in these really wonderful, compelling ways. Their performances Black out Pink, of this yeah. world. Blackpink, among many other K-pop bands. Sure. There are so many that there. are so lovely. I, my my next question would be, are any of these going to end up on a mixtape for me? Any of these new things you're listening to? Because for those of you who don't know, for the entire time that I have known Skipper Chong Morrison, he has, even before we ever dated, he has made digital mixtapes, basically. Playlists. Although there were a few in the very beginning that were burned to CD. They were. Right. Yeah. Cool art. Like you did a little, you made your own cover art. I cut out photographs or found other compelling um, or even made, in some instances, uh, some of those covers and then made sure that the track list was typed out. And and I, because of that, for a present for him, which still <laughs> we still haven't actually created it, I ordered um, a custom vinyl for him of songs that basically playlist that were important to us. And I we can link that in the show notes, the company that is making that. They're pretty sweet and incredible. So Sure. One of the things that I am listening to or reading is um, I'm rereading a book of short stories by Karen Russell. Okay. Um, and it's called St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. Ah. And she is one of those authors that you read her work and it makes you a little bit angry because she writes so vividly and so descriptively that you can fully see what is happening in this world. Mm-hmm. And it, she's such a wonderful writer and it makes me a little bit angry every time I read her. <laughs> you little jelly. A little jelly. All right. That's pretty, that's cool. I'm excited to read that after you. Yeah. So Skipper Chong, thank you for, um, thank you for sharing a, a bit of yourself with your listeners as I, I think they would all like to get to know you a little bit better and hopefully we have given them entrance into that. Yeah. Thanks for making the time and space. And thank you for listening to how this works. Please follow or subscribe, please leave Skipper a review wherever you get your podcast. This is a passion project of his, and therefore it is a passion project of mine as his partner. So please, please, please do leave reviews, share this podcast with anyone you think that, uh, that should listen, that would enjoy it. You can find how this works online at howthisworks.show. Four words, all letters. Again, that's howthisworks.show. If you're interested in knowing a little bit more about Skipper, you can also find him at skipperchongmorson.com. Send him a note, send him some ideas, send him whatever you want. Uh, And this show, How This Works, is active in all the places where social media happens. So I really hope that you learned something from my conversation with Skipper. Um, I certainly did. I always learned something from Skipper. And uh, and we'll definitely talk again soon. Thank you. do think that people in the world should own the thing that they know, which is why 
the beginning of the subject matter discussion that I have with guests, I intentionally ask the question, That's outside. I would hope so. I hope that's not inside. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to take you seriously also because your microphone is pointed directly at your nose. So it looks like you have like, instead of a big red nose, it looks like you have this. So fair. So that's, (laughs) 